You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there aren't many atheists around anymore. Have you noticed that? Anyone want to raise their hand if that's you? If that is you, you are so welcome. We love having atheists in our church. It's great. There aren't many around anymore, and, um, and uh, latest research bears this out. Um, I don't know if you, you know, if you're a history buff like me, but really, the 20th century, the great hope of secular materialism was that God is dead. And uh, you might know that famous Time magazine cover, God is dead, and Nietzsche said it and others. And so the great hope was that really, now that we have advanced to the level that we have gotten to, we can do away with all of this superstitious nonsense. And, and so God is dead, and what we can trust in is not some kind of sovereign Lord, but our own senses, what we can see, touch, hear, smell. And, and that was the great hope. And then that kind of waned a little bit after a while. People got a bit bored of really dry, boring materialism. But then recently there's been a resurgence in the last decade. There's what's called the, the new atheism. And, and the new atheists were really good with the internet. And so they got out there in social media and they, they spread the, the gospel of atheism, which is we don't need God anymore. And let's have another go at this. You know, he's, he's dead. You don't need him. It's all superstitious nonsense. We know everything there is to know. Everything's been explained. In, in essence, we are gods, right? Us. We are our own gods. And that was the great kind of gospel of a- the new atheism. But even that, with the power of the internet and publishing and Richard Dawkins, right, all of that has, has kind of failed to deliver on the promises. The latest research says that of the world's population today, about 16% of people are atheists. But the projected statistics are that by 2060, I give them a good amount of time to get, get things going, by 2060 that number would have diminished to 13% or fewer, and if Christianity continues to take hold in China like it is at the moment, then much less than that, right? So, ah, there's not that many atheists around anymore. I mean, 13% is not a lot. It's like, it's like the band and me and some of you guys over there, right? And the rest of you believe. We talk about statistics and, you know, you, the saying goes, you can make statistics say whatever you want. But my, this is my experience. Like, in the conversations that I have with real people that live around you and me, this is my experience. So on Friday night, we had a big street party. We, uh, we just dropped invitations to everyone and said, everyone in our street, come to our place and, and we'll have a Christmas party. And so all of these people turned up and I had multiple conversations with people. I know I've got an unfair advantage because they find out I work at a church and so the conversation goes this way. But multiple people kind of espouse some kind of belief and it wasn't in Jesus. No one, no one told me that they were like, Christmas was all about, you know, Jesus. But, but for them, there was this idea that the, that the universe is, is in control that the universe is taking care of them, that maybe it's karma or, or, or maybe it's something else, but there's something out there beyond what they can see and hear and smell and touch and taste, right? That there's something more than materialism. There is, there, there is something supernatural. 
And throughout this year, I've kind of marked down where I've had these conversations. I hear over and over again, the universe has got my back, right? One of the best-selling books this year is something like that. The universe has got your back, I think it's called, right? So there's this, there's this really popular notion today that atheism isn't the answer. There is something out there, we just don't know what it is. And this belief actually is not a new thing. It's not, a, it's not a 2017 thing, it's an ancient belief. So in the Greek culture of 2,000 years ago, the culture in which most of uh, the churches were planted that we read about in the Bible, and the culture in which most of the Christian conversions happened in the first century, in that culture they had the exact same belief. They didn't know what it was exactly that was out there, but they believed in a power, a force, a universe that kept everything together. Why does the sun not crash into the earth? Well, the universe is taking care of it. So they had this belief. And it was kind of like an, an unknown god. They had many other gods that took care of every other thing, but the, there was this unknown god who kind of just held it all together. Hey, by the way, I just noticed, Brett, uh, the, 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 the number of atheists is diminishing every day because yesterday out at Williamstown Beach, we baptised Brett Flay, who's sitting up the back there, uh, and he confessed Jesus as Lord, right? And we dunked him in the water. And, uh, yeah. Now, a couple of months ago, I visited with Brett, and he just said, I'm an atheist. Nothing you can say will change my mind. And um, so you're not safe if you're an atheist. <laughs> God might get you. All right, so here's the thing. In this culture, they had this same idea. First century Greek culture, they had this idea. The universe is out there. He's, he's kind of got it. And, and in the Bible, we've got this history book. It's a history book called The Acts of the Apostles. It's noted by secular historians as one of the best historical accounts we have of the ancient world. The detail that Luke, the author, goes into. He was a physician, he was a nerdy kind of details guy, and his history is outstanding. And he writes this history of the early church, and I want to read you this little account that he, uh, that he gives us in Acts chapter 17. There's this guy named Paul. He, like Brett, used to be an atheist. Well, not an atheist, but he did hate Jesus and the church, all right? And he used to go around persecuting the church, putting Christians in jail, putting them to death, right? He was that guy, the great enemy of the church. Then Jesus appears to him one day, knocks him off his horse, says, you're going to be a Christian now and the greatest missionary who's ever lived, and it happens, all right? So Paul, it says in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, you can look at this on the screen, I'm going to read you a little account, all right? He's in Greece. He's in this culture where people are believing in this sort of unknown God, the God who holds everything together, and he's in the Areopagus. This is like a, a public meeting place, a bit like CS Square, right, and where people get together, and this is what he says. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples or churches 
built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they, the people of the world, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So Paul stands up in the midst of this group of people who believe in some kind of universe that's holding everything together, and he says, that, that God, he has a name. And that God, he can be known. And what, what the Bible says to us this morning is that, that idea you have of, of the universe having your back or maybe of, of karma putting things back in check or, or whatever it is, that, that, that belief that something is out there, that that thing has a name and that thing has made himself known. And the great, what I love about what he says is, that God, he's not far from any of us. And you know what? I've looked up the original Greek. There's no little asterisk that says, except Fred, right? It, it doesn't. And so if you're here this morning and it's your like once a year in church where you just come along because this is kind of tradition and, and you, wouldn't, you don't come otherwise because you're not, you know, got God and you aren't on good terms. Or maybe you think, I'm, I, I've lived the kind of life that God is disgusted by, or that the church people are disgusted by, well, you just got corrected. Because he said, God is not far from any one of us. And the whole reason that God has made this world and put you in it is so that you would reach out for him and take a hold of him. And that God is not some mysterious fairy in the sky. He's not some kind of God that is up in the clouds, right, throwing thunderbolts, right? He is a God who's made himself known. So this is great. I'll tell you why this is great. This is great news because here's the thing. If you believe that the universe has got your back or that karma puts things back in check or whatever, the problem with those gods is you can't trust them. You can't trust them. If you've, if you've researched at all or know anything about the Greek gods that, that, uh, from the culture that Paul's speaking to in this case, they're just terrible gods, right? They, you can't trust them. They're just, they do whatever they want. They're like playing with, you know, people are their playthings. Literally, they were created to be toys. And, and so it's, it's true with the universe as well. You can't, you can't trust it to have your back. You know why? Because you can't trust what you don't know. Right? You can't trust what you... Even if you are a super optimist who believes in the goodness of people to the very core of their being, you can't trust what you don't know. I had a guy, and I don't mean to make light of this because this is, this is real life. We have people that come in regularly looking for some kind of relief, looking for benevolence, right? Looking for some, some money or some food. And so what we do is we, we get these cards from Coles that can be used only for groceries and not for... Uh, alcohol and stuff, and we tend to give those out, but I had a guy come in recently, and he wanted some help, and, um, but he didn't want those cards. He, he didn't want Cole's cards. He, he just wanted cash, and um, I said to him, listen, we don't, we don't keep any cash here. 
we don't give out any cash here. And he was like, well, why don't you give me some cash, you know, just between you and me? And I, was, and I just said, um, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I, you know, I'm not that dumb. Uh, I know I look a little bit like I'm that dumb, but I'm not. And, um, and he was like, well, come on, you can trust me. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the money back to you. What he didn't know that I knew was that he had told me that he had just come across from interstate today and had left his wallet at home. And, but I had spoken to him the week before down at CS Square where he asked me for money then. All right, so I kind of I was switched on to, to the game. Anyway, I said, look, I, I'm sure you would pay me back. I'm sure you're a good person, but I don't know you. I don't know you, and so therefore I can't trust you. We can't trust what we don't know. And so if your belief is in some kind of God that's out there, some kind of universe that has your back, then it doesn't do you any good because you can't trust that God. You can't trust what you don't know. And so this is great news because Paul says this God, he's not just out there. He is here. He has a name and he can be trusted. He can be known. Some of you are looking at watches saying, what Where's the Christmas bit coming, right? We, we're here for the Christmas bit. Like, get to the manger already, all right? If that's, if that's you, I'm, get, I'm getting there. All this is important because Christmas is God's answer to our problem that we, all of us have by nature, that we know something out there is, is bigger than us, There is something out there that is beyond us, but we don't know what it is, and we can't trust it. And Christmas is God's answer to that problem. Christmas is how God makes himself known. Christmas is God coming into our story. So remember, I told you these Greeks, they had this idea that there is a universe out there, a thing out there, an unknown God who keeps everything together, holds everything in balance, And the Greeks had a name for this God in their philosophy. They called it the Logos. That's the Greek word for word. It was the word. So in ancient Greece, had this idea that we don't know what's making the world not just explode, but whatever it is, we're going to call it the word. So it's the word that holds everything in balance. It's the word that has our back. Now we're going to have a reading. A, a beautiful young lady is going to come and read to us from John chapter 1. This is John's Christmas story. There's no nativity. There's no manger. There's no cattle lowing, right? There's no angels, right? But, but his Christmas story is one that you may be a little less familiar with, but it's no less astonishing. So in John's Christmas story. We'll get the whole thing from Renee, but I just want to read to you a couple of verses, all right? This is what John says about Christmas. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. And, and, and the people who are reading this, right, in that Greek culture I've been talking about, at this point they're going, yeah, we know that. Like, that's what we believe. We believe that the Word is holding everything together. The Word created everything. The Word is responsible for everything. We owe everything to the Word. We just don't, it's, it's, it's just, we don't know anything about it. It's just out there somewhere. 
So they say, yeah, we, we get it. But then he goes on and he completely blows their minds. Verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who he himself is God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And their brains explode. Because they have no concept of this distant power called the Word becoming flesh, making himself known, dwelling among us, becoming a human being. Ever since John wrote those words, people have been outraged by them. Jews are outraged by them, God becoming a man. Muslims hate, hate this idea that God would, would condescend to become one of us. Greeks who believed that the flesh was evil and the spirit was good couldn't, couldn't bring these two things together. It made no sense to them. But John says, this is the astonishing truth of Christmas. God became a baby. God became a baby. The word became flesh. So if the question is, what is God like? Can we know beyond some force out there? The answer is yes. We can know what God is like because Jesus has made him known. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is God's perfect representation. Why? Because he is God in human flesh. What is God like? Jesus has made him known. The word has become flesh. This is what Christmas is all about, right? You can tell the Christmas story without ever getting to cheap or whatever this thing's called. What's that called? A crook, right? You can get to the Christmas story. I mean, we love this stuff, right? It's great. But you can get to the Christmas story without even going that far because all you need to know is that Christmas is this. God has become a man. God has made himself known to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John goes on to say that this man, Jesus, was full of grace and truth. You can trust him, right? If you want to know if you can trust someone, find out if they're full of grace and truth. And if they are full of grace and truth, then they can be trusted. That's how we know we can trust God, because Jesus is full of grace and truth. So I love the idea of this service where we have these multiple readings that are designed. This, this service, was someone came up with it in the, in the 18th century in England in a, a church in Cambridge. And that it was designed so, not just so that you could sing all your favourite carols, but so that you could have readings that go from Genesis through to John, so that you could see the, the problem and the solution. You can see sin and a saviour. And so what I just want to leave you with this morning, and just everyone look right at me, this is, this, is, this is the key, right? Here's the truth. We saw right from the beginning that there is one God, and he's not some distant 
universe, karma, power thing, right? He is one God who has a name. And this God exists and has always existed for eternity past in light and life and love. He has existed for all time in light and life and love. And then we saw in that devastating reading that we started the service with, right? we started on a bit of a downer in Genesis 3, that the people that God created in light and light and love, whose destiny was to know and live in that light and light and love, they turned their back on him. They turned away from him. They rejected him. They chose themselves to be their own gods. And so what happens? Whenever you turn away from light and life and love, when you turn away from light, you get darkness. And when you turn away from life, you get death. And when you turn away from love, you get disconnection. And you, just, you do your own little survey in your head right now and see if that doesn't just sum up the world we live in. Darkness, death, disconnection. One of the great things about the party we had at our house the other night was just the, over and over and over again, people saying to me, this is awesome, we should do this more often, we feel so disconnected. We live in this idyllic little suburb where all the houses are facing one another and we're all close together and no one knows anyone. So when you turn away from light and life and love, you get darkness and death and disconnection. And then what does the God who has made himself known do? This is what I would do if I was him. Just this. Like an annoying fly. Catch you later. Right? But he doesn't do that. He looks at the creation that he has created in light and life and love and he pursues it. He enters into it. On Christmas, the word becomes flesh. And he dwells among us. And you just read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. What you see over and over again is that he is the embodiment of light and life and love. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in everything he does, it's out of love, healing people, eating with those who have been rejected, calling those to him who would otherwise be disconnected, right? He does all of this because he is the Word made flesh, because he is God in human form. He is light and life and love. And then what happens? Skip from Christmas to Easter. He dies. And it's a voluntary death, right? He dies because he wants to take upon himself the punishment that we deserve, right? The darkness, the death, the disconnection that we chose, he wants to take it on himself. And so he does that. He dies and he takes on, he, he, he experiences in its fullness darkness and death and disconnection. But that's not the end of the story. He then rises to new life and so in, in, in ultimate light and life and love, he then says to everyone here this morning, do you want my light? Do you want my life? Do you want my love? It's yours. It's free. 
I'm full of grace and truth. What I give you comes freely, and what I give you, you can trust. And so we say to you this morning, do you want that? If you want light and life and love to replace darkness and death and disconnection, then have Jesus. Have Jesus and have him freely. He's the word made flesh. He's God made known. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to show us what you're like. We thank you, Lord, that you are full of grace and truth. We thank you that you not only came into the world, but you died in our place to take away our darkness, our death, and our disconnection. So I pray now, as we continue to sing, that these songs will be full of joy as your people who have have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have been set free, who have been given light and life and love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.